0: The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own
1: and do not necessarily reflect those of the station.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. And it's time now for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we start all of our military and first responder type shows With a pause and a silent prayer for those that uh, gave the ultimate sacrifice, and also those that are on active duty right now and uh, taking care of us, and also uh, just a good idea to pray for our country. And uh, we'll do that, and then we'll come back in, and uh, I've got a dynamite show for you, so. Stay tuned for Remembering Desert Chill and Desert Storm right after this. Mm-hmm. And Thank you. And we do one other thing that uh, I started, and because I, won, I like them, and two, they got me through a lot of messes. So we'll go right into it, and we'll be back with retired Lieutenant Colonel Philip Forsberg. Pick them up and lay them down, and I know you must have done a lot of that, Phil, in your career. Pick them up and lay them down. Start off with the left and end with the right. So, anyway, it is remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm time, and uh, we have Phil Forsberg, Lieutenant Colonel Retired, on the line with us, and... Uh, We've got some interesting topics to talk about. So, Phil, good afternoon.
0: Hey, good afternoon, David. Thank you for having me again on the show. Uh, I always value Mondays when I can uh, can do these shows with you.
1: Well, thank you. Um,
0: yeah. So, let's see, Will. Uh, you, you know, I can recall uh, sitting, I was uh, camping in my motorhome and listening to the radio on the 2nd of August of 1990 and uh, I heard that uh, Saddam Hussein had uh, invaded Kuwait and uh, I remember my reaction very well who cares but uh, apparently I cared later because uh, within two months uh, I was in uh Saudi Arabia getting ready to uh, go toe to toe with Saddam and his forces, and uh, you know I tell you, uh, even though I was regular army at the time, and you know we went to ranges regularly, and we had our medical checkups regularly, and we had all the regular maintenance uh, of a of a soldier ready to go to combat uh, on a regular basis. Suddenly there was a whole new priority. We had to go to a range, and then we had to go get physical, and we had to get inoculations for the specific theater we were going to, and we even had to have our dentistry checked. We, uh, uh, we had to pack all of our stuff. We had to paint our vehicles because now we were going from a, a green woodland pattern to a desert sand color. Uh, we had to be issued, uh, new uniforms, uh, what we call the chocolate chips. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, <clears throat> uh, what else? We had to have our wills in order and our powers of attorney, uh, and, uh, it was just nonstop, uh, from, I think it was about a week after, uh, the invasion that we got our alert saying, uh. You guys are going. Uh, we were part of their battle plan, and uh, we didn't. We did not have a day off uh, until we left, and we we worked. This is no exaggeration. Probably from five o'clock in the morning to 10, 11 o'clock at night for the whole time. After we got our alert, it was. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know it's, it's a time when you go. You get home at eleven o'clock, you gotta get up at four thirty and uh and your wife wants to know uh what's going on, when are you gonna be back, how long are you gonna be gone, uh where are you going? Um, and uh you really don't have any answers for her, just well, this is what comes with the job. We've enjoyed the paychecks these low these many years and now it's time for us to pay up. And so it was, uh, you know, it was quite a, uh, a job for, uh, us to do. Uh, it was a lot very stressful situation. I recall, you know, I was at Fort Hood, Texas. I was at Fort Hood, Texas and there was, uh, someone had suggested that, uh, oh, the Dallas Cowboys were going to give us, uh, A a football game. We were going to get to go to a football game or something. Uh, Well, that never happened. I mean, I'm sure they wanted to, but it just was, there was just no time budgeted for that. Uh, uh, Well, we've got everything together and, uh, you know, they give you all sorts of free junk when you're going to combat theater. Uh, We had dust goggles and uh, sort of, uh, some sort of night camouflage. Uh, now, let know,
1: me uh, let me interrupt you a second with that. Uh, it, yeah. As I was getting my stuff at Fort Ord, they had to give me one of, if not the, well, they issued, all of us, one of, if not the heaviest overcoat I've ever tried to hold. So, how many overcoats did you? Did they give you for uh, Saudi Arabia.
0: Uh, we well, we didn't really get overcoats, uh, and of course, I, I think you're talking about that wool overcoat.
1: Well, this thing weighs about four pounds, five pounds, yeah. ten, whatever, and yeah. uh, that one. Uh, oh, I
0: think you didn't wear that with a fatigue uniform, though. I don't know. Uh, so
1: No, I guess you didn't, come us. to think of it. No.
0: Yeah, they didn't issue us anything that didn't go with a fatigue uniform. Uh, so we had, uh, but uh, I recall they gave me a pair of sunglasses, and uh, I don't know what the, the point of them was, but they had these uh, tight, curled uh, arms, you know, that would wrap around your ears, and they had for some reason, it had, like, a little spike on the very end. It dug into your ears. So uncomfortable, I never wore them. Uh, but I guess, you know, somebody somewhere had decided this is what a soldier going to combat in a desert needs. Yeah, we, you know, we needed sunglasses. But I had sunglasses. Uh, you know, being an aviator and all, you know, the issue us some reading glasses and you know clear glasses and and uh sunglasses uh I was you know we were supposed to have that all the time of course the sunglasses and the eyeglasses they they issued to us had these straight arms and you look down at your checklist and your glasses would fall off your face in your checklist but um I guess they were trying to remedy that with the extra tight curled spike ended uh arms of the sunglass in any event uh, yeah and so we had all this stuff and then uh, you know we had to say goodbye uh, to our family and to, we had not really uh, had much time with them at all when we left um, and then of course we got there uh, there was uh, some confusion as to which uh, army post office zip code we were supposed to have and so our mail was extraordinarily delayed and I will tell you that uh, in an age before uh, Al Gore's amazing internet uh, uh, written mail you know what we call snail mail today was extraordinarily uh, effective in building morale getting a letter from home uh, and, and hearing what's going on uh, was, uh, was good we had what they call morale calls, so they had a bank of phones where you could, you know, sign up and get 15 minutes to talk. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know what you're supposed to talk about other than, uh, I love you or, you know, uh, whatever problems you might be facing. You, you would, of course, you wouldn't tell your, your wife about the problems you were having if you had any because, uh, there's nothing she could do about it and you wouldn't want her to worry. Um, and I think probably there's there's some uh, of the same on the other end. You know, the wives aren't going to tell their husbands about the, uh, the sick baby or whatever that he, he really can't affect, except maybe for prayer. Um, so, uh, yeah, and uh, so mail call was extraordinarily important. Part of uh, building morale for us, uh, sitting in the desert, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, one thing you take for for granted is uh, chairs, right? The comfortable chairs or any kind, even a folding chair. We certainly didn't have one for each member of our unit. And uh, back in Garrison, you know, everybody had a a place in an office to work, and uh, we didn't have anything. I mean, I uh, I spent my time, you know, doing my reports for the higher headquarters, uh, sitting on the edge of my cot, working out of a little map case bag I wore around my shoulders. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, you take that kind of thing for granted, but we didn't have, you know, we lived in a tent. Our tent didn't have any chairs in it. We had, a, we had a, uh, you know, basically four cots in the tent. The tents were provided for us by the King of Saudi Arabia, and they were sort of unique. Uh, they had, they, you know, they were comfortable for about four men. Uh, put four cops in there, and they had uh, two uh, two center poles uh, that would hold up the uh, the tent, and uh, and the poles were made out of uh, I don't know. Uh, it looked like a maybe a very very Thick bamboo. I mean, l- large diameter, maybe six inches in diameter. Uh, bamboo pole, and uh, the, so the two of them you know went to the top, and the the, uh, the roof of the tent fastened to that, and then there was another like a false roof that was suspended above it, uh, and it was uh, really pretty good for uh, for keeping off the the hot, saudi sun because the sun would hit the outer roof and then there'd be a layer in between where if you had a merciful breeze it, you know, could could prevent the, uh, the heat from getting through to the, to the inside layer of the roof. Uh, and, uh, of course, as, uh, as uh, Doc Moeller said on our last show, the, the soil there, uh, well... I, you know, I don't know if it was the soil all over Saudi Arabia. But I think we—they had put us in a what they had called—it uh, seemed to be a parking lot that they hadn't paved yet. It was a parking lot for for a building It was a meteorological station for the airport they were building. We were we were assigned at King Fahd International Airport uh, in Dammam, and you could. Uh, uh, but I think they had gone through and lime stabilized the soil so it was pretty hard almost like concrete and uh, we would uh, we had to take drills and drill into the uh, soil and uh, and then we could uh, pound these uh, pieces of rebar that had a, a bent end like a check mark we would pound those into uh, into the Hole we had made by drilling in the soil, and then uh, our, you know, our tent ropes would would hang on these uh, rebar tent pegs, and we we had to drill a hole for every single peg for our, each tent, and you know we had, well, just in my company alone, we had two hundred thirty-five soldiers, uh, and so the according number of tents to accommodate four each, uh, and. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was quite a lot in my tent. We had uh, our company commander, myself. I was the surveillance platoon leader. We had a battalion operations officer, and we had our company first sergeant. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we'll, yeah. You know, and at some point, they brought in these uh, sort of pallet. Uh, or, or flooring that they had made uh, it framed it with two by fours and covered it with uh, with furniture grade plywood and uh, we had about I guess I don't know how many of those made up the floor of our tent but it, it was pretty good it, you know of course you're walking through the you know sand and dust and it's getting everywhere but um and then one day they come brought in and uh, wired us for a fluorescent light in our tent and uh, strapped a light switch to one of those, uh, uh, the, the center tent poles, uh, as I recall. I had cobbled together uh, out of some old uh, dunnage and uh, some wood that uh, I had found that, you know, I was crating and whatever I had, Cobbled together a little uh, shelf to put my stuff on, and uh, we had an ingenious way. We took our uh, our MRE boxes, <laughs> and they came with a cardboard sleeve around them. And we would uh, keep the cardboard sleeve. We'd cut the top uh, flaps off of the, the drawer, and then put a little uh, put a little handle on the edge of the uh, on the end of the uh, box. And then slip it back in the sleeve, and that became our cardboard dressers. We had I probably had five or six of those, you know, to hold my socks and underwear. Um, yeah, you know, soldiers have to innovate. We we took. Uh, I remember they they gave us these uniforms, and they said, "Don't uh, don't sew any of your badges or things on here because you know." They're just going to go off to the laundry, and then you may get yours back, or you may get another one from somebody else that's, you know, uh, about the same size. uh, So we had to use, you know, we had wings. I had airborne wings, aerosol wings, and, of course, my senior Army aviator wings. And then we had, uh, you know, my my captain's bars and my aviation insignia for the collar. And uh, so we had those. Uh, we couldn't sew them on we had to have uh, the metal pin on and of course the black subdued ones because we were you know in combat so uh, and then of course the black subdued uh, brass that you put on is actually brass underneath it's not uh, it's not silver and it's not black all the way through and so uh, you know within a day that's the the under the kind of brass colored metal would be showing through the black uh so you're we constantly trying to maintain that and, and then uh one day when they we first got laundry they said all right take these uh magic markers and write your social security number on the inside of your uh uniform and, and so then we uh we had these uh we sent them off to the laundry and they you know they'd go in a bag and they'd come back in a bag according to your social security number uh, I began to wonder why we couldn't have things sewn on there because <laughs> you know apparently it was not as originally planned but whatever now there were some fellas that went and made these handmade sew-on badges uh, to, uh, to go on their uniforms and of course you know, on a, on a O.D. fatigue uniform, you, your sew-on would be a little scrap of uh, olive drab uh, twill cloth. And so the, these uniforms that we had, the chocolate chips, they had a kind of a cape across the shoulders in the back on the underside that was unused materials, and, and guys would cut those capes out and then use them to make their... Uh, uh, embroidered, hand-embroidered, uh, airborne and aviator wings. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, well, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's no TV, there's no internet, there's no email, uh, you gotta find something to do. I did a, I did quite a bit of reading, uh, novels and such while I was there. Uh, and of course, I was kept pretty busy, uh, Cause I had, uh, I had the soldiers. I had uh, basically the mission uh, platoon where we would. Uh, you know, everybody was a pilot, whether you're like me, just part of the leadership, or the warrant officers, uh, or the staff. You know, they all. I mean, we all had jobs other than being a pilot, and then. My enlisted guys, they were the, the right feeders, the, uh, the observers that that u- used the mission equipment uh, to find moving targets on the ground primarily. And uh, so all the enlisted observers uh, were in my platoon, and so I had them. And then uh, we, we had a system that would downlink the imagery uh, to a shelter mounted on the back of a truck, and so we put those... Uh, we put those uh, trucks and shelters out uh, with, uh, we had one with the 18th Airborne Corps Operations Center forward. We had one with the 101st and one with the uh, 24th Infantry Division. And uh, they went wherever the division headquarters went. And uh, so I had four deployed soldiers. I had soldiers that, you know, I had to manage. Oh, and then all the imagery analysts, they were they were mine too, so we'd bring back the imagery from the mission, and these guys would uh, sit there, you know, with a light table and a jeweler's loop, and they'd uh, they would analyze uh, the intel that we had collected out there, so, uh, you know, I had to manage them, and they were, uh, uh, you know, there was a handful, you know, it, you have personnel, you have personnel issues, right? So uh, but most of my guys were uh, much more of an asset than a uh, liability there. Um, but, uh, yeah, as, but, you know, people have uh, personal problems. I had a, uh, one of my soldiers had a marriage go bad while he was over there. Uh, and that was not pleasant. Uh, and, of course, uh, our brigade commander... Uh, Back at Fort Hood Uh, when I called back to try to get some help from the chaplain uh, the brigade commander answered the hotline there and uh, and basically chewed me out told me I was a leadership failure for having a soldier that was uh, deployed with that kind of problem Um, I did not think very much of our uh, brigade commander who did not come with us so Uh, anyway that's neither here nor there
1: you know you started talking about earlier on about uh mail and getting mail from home and i don't want to i don't want to leave out something but i don't want to add something that's not correct but one of the things about from the squad level on up to the company level uh you you build a family atmosphere and uh particularly in your platoon level. And, you know, you get a letter from home, and I don't know of a platoon that most of the guys will share their letters from home because they're sharing it with their extended family. And, um, you know, I know of situations where guys came back that, uh, you know, they're best friend and their platoon or whatever the situation was they also had gotten to know their wives pretty well and uh, you know how's Jane doing how's you know how are the boys doing and so you you have such a a unity of a platoon and family type situation that you do share your letters and when you don't get one to share, everybody hurts.
0: yeah uh, and, and, and that's true. We did uh, we did share with each other stuff, at least uh, some of the <laughs> not the more intimate details, but uh, you know we did share uh, uh, words with each other and news from home. Uh, and then of course, uh, oh, one of the one of the greatest things was receiving a, a VHS tape uh, we, we did have, back in the olden days, we had, uh, video recording, and, uh, so, wife would send a, a, a VHS tape to us, and we had a, we had a player in our orderly room, and we could plug it in and listen. And at one point, uh, they gave us a, um, they gave us a, uh, for our unit to use, uh, a a, VHS, uh, camera and recorder. And, uh, so guys could make recordings and send them home, uh, to their wives. And I, uh, I still have mine, the one I did, uh, for my wife. It was, it was pretty good. The, uh, it was, uh yeah, that's good memories. And, you know, uh, Another thing that we used to get in the mail was uh, uh, these care packages from home, and people, you know, wanted to know what they could do to help out these half million troops that were over there. And so we would get boxes of candies and cookies and nuts. And one of the things we didn't like was somebody had said, "Don't don't send them chocolate because it'll melt in the in the heat of the desert." But you know, by November it was. It was quite cool. And it's cooler than it is here in Atlanta today. And uh, there was no danger of the chocolate melting, and that would have. So we finally get them, got them off of that, uh, disabused them of that uh, uh, notion that uh, chocolate was not good.
1: <laughs> if it
0: melted, well, it might put it on ice or something. But you know, go ahead and send it. But there was a table in our little orderly room. Uh, it was part of this building that was nothing but a concrete shell of an unfinished building. Uh, and uh, in the, on this table, you just put the things that you had received from home that you either didn't want or it was just too much for you to consume. And uh, any soldier walking by could grab a handful of nuts or, uh, you know, a slice of pound cake or some cookies or some candies or whatever... And I'll tell you what, I ate every meal I could find over there. Every time they sent me the chow, I ate it. I think I ate nearly every morsel of every MRE they ever gave me. And I ate uh, plenty of cookies and candies and nuts and stuff. And I still come back about 25 pounds shy of when I left. <laughs> and I do not know how that happened because we did not do unit runs or anything while we were over there. We were just uh, just working, hustling. Maybe I don't know. It could have been the stress.
1: I, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. We're gonna take a break, uh, Phil, and um, come back with Desert Storm, Desert Shale and Desert Storm, remembering them. And uh, before I leave though, I want to remind everybody, and Phil, this is not a fair question, but knowing that, what kind of historian you are, what's, what's Wednesday?
0: Say again, David.
1: What is Wednesday, this coming Wednesday?
0: Oh, Wednesday is, uh, well, it's two things. It's the Army birthday. uh, And June the 14th of uh, 1775, the Continental Congress authorized the Continental Army. And uh, it's also flag day.
1: And I would... Dearly love to drive down every street and there be a flag out in the yard displayed correctly, not some weirdo, but uh, displayed correctly and just saluting our men and women that have served and are serving and saluting the greatest country in the world, the United States of America. And, you know, the, the wokes and the, and all these other goofballs, they may try to take it away from us, but they're never gonna take the pride of the flag and they can tromp on it, they can do all sorts of things, but it's always gonna get back up and be there for us and, you know, the number of stories of either POWs or or when we have liberated other countries of the stories of people seeing our flag coming towards them and what it's meant to them. So, everybody, get your flag out. And uh, I want to salute a company. I don't know anything about it, but it's called Allegiance. And, you know, most flags that you go in a store and buy today, made in China. You know, I just... I'm sorry, but I have a problem with that. And Allegiance flags are all made in the USA. It's a husband and wife and another friend that started the company and we support them 100%. So when you, if you're going out to buy a flag, be sure it's an Allegiance flag. So with that, we're going to take our break and we'll be back in just a moment. thank you. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't
0: afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening,
1: and we're back on remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And I want to remind everybody that we love hearing from you, just like just like the soldier sitting on the stump and waiting for mail call. And we like we're not quite as bad as that, but close. And we do love to hear from you. If you've got a question for Phil about what he did or anything else, just Phil at com, and he will get it. We never see it. And it's, I, I would imagine, well I, no, I don't even imagine. I know Phil well enough that he would respond like crazy. Anything like that, like a soldier to a letter from home. So, if if you got a question for Phil or for America's Web Radio, uh, be sure and get those to it. They mean the letters mean a lot, and or I say the letters, the emails mean a lot for for a number of reasons. Because believe it or not, we don't do this for our health, but at the same token, we're trying to. Help our fellow veterans, and I. Wouldn't you say, Phil, that last week's show with Don Moeller was doing exactly that, helping our and he's a veteran just like you are, and helping our brother veterans and sisters.
0: Sure, and and, and Don has a real heart for helping veterans, uh, do I? And uh, and he and I are going to do. Some, some things I think are going to be very, very helpful for veterans, and uh, I thank you, uh, David, for making the connection between uh, me and Doc Muller because uh, we, we're just going to we're just going to revolutionize some things for veterans. So, uh, so thank you for that. And uh, but I do want to correct you about one thing, David. You, you mentioned that the soldier sitting on a stump waiting for mail call. Uh, We didn't have any stumps. (laughs)
1: We didn't have
0: any trees, so...
1: But uh, but that's where all the pretty girls were.
0: Yeah, there's a pretty girl behind every tree out there. uh, And uh, just had a complete absence of trees. But uh, here, uh, yeah, so, uh, mail call was a big morale boost. And then, of course, uh, you you know, it's almost like a convict... uh, crossing off the days uh, of his sentence in jail <laughs> so we uh, so we would uh, <clears throat> you know we would want to pass the days right till we got back and uh, so we would uh, you know your, your day was marked by certain events right there was, there was breakfast which was usually a hot a ration that was uh, served up by our cooks in their mess tent then uh, chow for uh, for lunch was MRE or what they called C and then uh, and then the king of Saudi Arabia you know he had all these laborers there from all these third world countries that were building this airport for him and consequently he had a mess hall where they all ate and uh, so uh, not only did he give us all of the um, petroleum that we needed uh, in the form of JP-8 uh, diesel fuel, essentially. Uh, but he also allowed us to uh, use the mess hall for feeding our troops uh, without charge. And so we would uh, we would go over there. You're typically in the evening. Now a lot of a lot of evenings I was gone for chow, out flying a mission. But uh, when we did go over, we had little. Uh, Double decker bus that, uh, they provided, uh, some driver, I don't know where he was from, Turkey, Pakistan, or, uh, whatever, uh, and he, he would drive us, uh, from our little cantonment area over to the, uh, to the Chow Hall, and we'd queue up, go in, and, uh, uh, and in the Chow Hall, there, you know, you'd come in, and you'd have to sign in, and there'd be some, uh, big Turk there who didn't read or speak English, you know, and he just wanted you to sign in. So, as we went in, the fellows would sign in. Uh, you know, first they'd put their name, and then after you know a few days, they just write things like uh, Bart Simpson or Saddam Hussein or uh, Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so we had a George W. George Bush. Uh, (laughs) we put all sorts of things down and as long as we made some sort of mark on the paper we could go in and get our chow and uh, it was was unique it had some uh, consistency to the mess hall there was always french fries. there was always soup and there was always soft serve ice cream And almost always some sort of curry, because I think a lot of the, uh, that was standard fare for most of the workers there that was, you know, that they were the most accustomed to. Uh, and it wasn't too bad. Uh, the french fries were good, but their ketchup, uh, it just left something to be desired. We actually had our, uh, our family, uh, our families, uh, Send us ketchup in uh, in care packages that we can put on our French fries. And man, man, much more American and much more pleasant. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was our chow thing. And of course, uh, you know, in my flight suit, you have uh, these two leg pockets uh, down uh, close to your ankle, between the knee and ankle, and uh, the, your MREs would come in a uh, in a Heavy plastic, brown plastic uh, envelope, and it would be a complete meal, uh, or whatever uh, the folks at Natick Laboratories thought would be a complete meal for a soldier. And each meal, I don't know, had probably four thousand calories in it, uh, and but she, I could stick one of those MREs down in my leg pocket and have it with me when I went to go fly, and you know, and uh, the missions, which were typically, you know, on an autopilot, straight and level most of the time, uh, I could pull that out and eat my uh, beans and wheeze or uh, some uh, ham steaks or uh, beef beef uh, beef stroganoff or something like that. Uh, you, you remember, David, the, the sea rations we had when I first came in. It came in cans, and I'm sure that's what you ate in, you, in your experience there. Uh,
1: that little cardboard out. box.
0: Yeah, a little cardboard box. I got replaced by a heavy plastic uh, brown envelope. Uh, but uh, but in that, those sea rations we used to have in those cans, you know, there was one that was always kind of light, and you'd open it, and there'd be uh, about three or four uh, soda crackers and... Uh, the John Wayne bars, you remember them? Mm-hmm. Little uh, round uh, discs of uh, chocolate with some toffee in there. Always sort of tasted like a vitamin.
1: <laughs> My favorite uh, and was the cinnamon roll.
0: Yeah, yeah. You could stick one of those in a in a can too. There was a the cherry nut cake that was good. The cherry nut cake survived from uh, from the sea rations over to the MRE, but Ooh. it wasn't in a can. It was in a in a foil envelope. Uh, it's kind of pressed into the shape, kind of the, uh, sort of like, uh, you know, you can buy those envelopes of uh, of tuna fish in the grocery store these days of, the, of what the cherry nut cake looks like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the,
1: you know what Sea yeah, Rations proved? Tell me. Proved that there's one born every day. And yeah. I, I say that from... And in fact, even officers like yourself, I'm sure, did the same thing that some of some of us uh, grunts did, and that was that you'd you'd get your meals, you'd get your little cardboard box handed out to you, and the you'd r- rustle through it right quick, as quick as you could, to see what you got, and then you went into the swap shop, and oh yeah, some of the stuff <laughs> you just you just couldn't tolerate the spam or whatever it was. It just, ugh, I thought that stuff was terrible. But somebody out there in your platoon or company loved it. So that's why I say one was born every day. So you, you'd swap that person something for something you wanted or hopefully. And, uh, that was, that was mealtime entertainment.
0: Yeah. And you know your dessert. If you if you had uh, the, the cherry nut cake or the cinnamon roll, it came in kind of a short can, like a tuna can. But if if your dessert was uh, was uh, let's say a fruit cocktail, it came in a sort of a tall can, and they had to they all had to fit the same size So if You had an entree like your protein was uh, tuna fish, you'd have a, a short can. And uh, then you'd have a tall can for your dessert and then your accessories and stuff. And uh, I will say, uh, I never ate them, but uh, the folks that uh, served in Vietnam uh, had legendary stories about the ham and lima beans that came in a can. And they were apparently not the most favorite, so I have good news for... uh our Vietnam veterans that the ham and lima beans did not survive to uh, make it into an MRE at least not any that I ever had
1: that's good Uh, (laughs) that's a step uh, further (laughs)
0: Uh, and then they got kind of creative and uh, they started putting these tiny little bottles of uh, Tabasco sauce into into our accessory pack and and, uh, they were, uh, you know, the guys liked it. They could dress up their meal as much or as little as they liked. And, uh, and I'll tell you, uh, what these guys did with those bottles. You know, when we left Saudi Arabia, uh, they told us, you know, we had to go through customs and immigration. And, you know, the, the customs people were, make, want to make sure there's no, there's no soil, no dirt stuck, you know, clods of mud stuck to your boots or whatever. Um, I don't know what they thought might be growing in it. I never saw anything really growing in particular in Saudi Arabia that wasn't somehow deeply <laughs> cultivated. But the uh, uh, but uh, they the, the guys used to uh, fill up these little uh, Tabasco bottles with uh, Saudi sand, and then keep it as a souvenir of Desert Storm, or whatever.
1: I don't know how yeah. they got the sand through those little bitty openings.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, when you got nothing but time on your-
1: here <laughs> <laughs> with a with a set of tweezers. You're putting uh, particles of sand into a Tabasco bottle. Okay. I I will make you one other bet but, um okay. again. I can't speak for you, Phil, but I can certainly speak for. A lot of other veterans. There are not many veterans floating around that don't have the infamous can opener.
0: The P 38.
1: Yeah. I've still got a yeah. couple.
0: I still have them on my dog tag. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't wear my dog tags anymore. I have, in my bedroom, I have my saber and my spurs. And my dog tags hung up on hooks, uh, symbolizing that I hung up my spurs and I am retired from soldiering. Uh, And the dog tags, I have the same set of dog tags. I never flew a mission in my life without that same set of dog tags. Those tags were given to me when I was a cadet in ROTC and I was on my way to aerosol school in Fort Campbell, Kentucky in uh, July of 1980.
1: Did you uh, did you have the plastic liner on them?
0: I you know I did for a while, I thought that was just kind of nonsense. You know, here I am a pilot. You know,
1: who's going to hear you rattle? <laughs> <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> you know, well, if, I'll tell you what if uh, you know if I'm shot down and I'm in behind enemy territory, I'll put my dog tags in my pocket. How's that? Uh, <laughs> That should and, uh, keep them you know. quiet. Yeah. So, anyway, it was, uh, yeah, the, the MREs, they, they did some good things with those. The, the one, I guess, that, that took the place of the ham and lima beans, nobody liked, was the uh, dehydrated pork patty. Mm. Uh, it was a, a grilled uh, little, I don't know, something about the size of a deck of cards. Uh, made a dehydrated pork that had been grilled, and you could open the envelope that was in and uh, pour some water from your canteen and rehydrate it. Uh, made a little broth kind of thing around it, but uh, I mean, if you were starving, okay, that that worked. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and the, pr- the problem with that is a lot of salt, you know, dehydrate stuff like that, a lot, a lot of sodium, uh, that, uh, but, um, you know, the folks, uh, the folks, uh, well, you know, we survived, and, you know, I, I mean, I lost a lot of weight there, but I, uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't in, you know, in danger of losing my life over it or anything, uh, and, uh but uh let's
1: see what else well, well we were t- we were talking about uh shots earlier and uh, well, yeah well and uh, no, uh, I won't.
0: go ahead uh, i'll tell you this uh there were two things that i was a little put out about uh when when it, the you know they told us we were going to come to blows with Saddam, which we didn't know until January of, uh, of, uh, 91, uh, they gave us these little, uh, packets of pills, and they said we had to take one each evening at 9 o'clock we, we were supposed to take our, our first pill, and, uh, it was something called, uh, some, actually a prescription medicine called pyridostigmine bromide, and, uh. The idea of it was that, uh if we had been if we had this in our system and we got exposed to uh to VX nerve agents, uh then uh we would we would have a faster recovery time uh or possibly be able to survive. Uh, VX nerve is is pretty bad. It basically shuts down your nervous system. Um and uh you know, I thought that was uh, I thought that was kind of heavy-handed, especially when I discovered that uh, you know they told us, well, if Saddam could put uh, VX nerve onto uh, one of these Scud missiles, which we hadn't seen, and we had no intelligence that he had that capability or he was intending to do that, uh, if if the Scud you know carried VX nerve, it would. Uh, it would have uh, enough on it to contaminate a, uh, an area about 250 meters in diameter, and uh, you know, in that huge desert, uh, I thought, well, you know, that, that ain't much. You know, uh, I'm taking my chance, so I didn't, didn't really appreciate them giving me this uh, prescription medicine that nobody's examined me for and sending me out to fly with this medicine that somehow uh, affected my central nervous system. And the other thing is they, uh, they come through one day and said, uh, we have to give you an inoculation. And I said, well, what's in it? And they said, we can't tell you. classified. I said, well, what's it for? And they said, we can't tell you it's classified. It. I said, well, then I don't want it. They said, you have to have it. Well, I said, right. Write it down on my shot record. No, we can't do that. Why not? there are going to be making records classified. I said, well, I have a top secret clearance. You know, I have a need to know it. Yeah, And If you don't, if you don't take this shot, you're going to um, we're going to court martial. And uh, to this day, nobody told me what was in the shot. I had to take it. Uh, I didn't exactly have an appointment for the judge advocate standing out there in the middle of the desert. So, uh, so I took the shot, but I had no idea what effect it might have had on me. And, uh, you know, if I went and told the VA that uh, that I had this thing and claimed that this injection they gave me caused a problem, they'd say, well, it's not in your record. So, uh, you know, I have a great deal of sympathy for those folks who didn't want to take the uh, the, the uh, vaccine for the the Chinese COVID virus. Uh, you know, the, the government gave a total immunity to the pharmaceutical uh, companies. You know, and they, they rushed it through without going through the normal process of safety. And, you know, and it turns out it didn't really, it didn't really affect anything. Near as I can tell, people who got the inoculation got the virus at about the same rate as people who didn't.
1: You know, anyway. That's- so what you're saying about what the Army will give you and, you know, I wasn't going or to my knowledge, I wasn't planning on being deployed at the time, but I still had to take all the shots. And, uh, you know, what, what is the first thing that happens to you when you go to a civilian doctor's office and they hand you that form? You fill it out and you explain to them any shot that you've had in the last 400 years or so or any condition you've had or any anything, you know. And yet, yeah. the Army does away with all that. Well, the Army gave me a shot uh, two years ago. Well, what was it? I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's a standard thing. And if you brought them your immunization records from your uh, nutrition... Uh, they uh, you know they'd say that's fine and they'd give you all the same shots again Uh, yeah it's uh, you know you give up some of your dignity when you when you serve in uniform and uh, and that's why these folks who who's you know sign up to give up as much as their whole life uh, at a young age uh, you know they need to have the regard uh, of a grateful nation.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: Uh, well, and then uh, of course uh, another part of our routine was uh, was the incoming Scud missiles in the evening. Uh, I was uh, I was always happy when I was out flying the night mission and come back to find out that they had had two or three scud alerts because i thought well that's two or three scud alerts that i missed while out flying and i of course i'd have to sleep during the day and uh they didn't we didn't have the scud alerts during the day uh typically Uh, but when it when we'd get the siren we'd have to uh Grab our uh, mask and our uh, chemical protective gear, and hustle to our bunker. Put on our mask and wait for the all clear. And of course, that would happen. Could happen two or three times a night. Um, it was uh, it was quite Pavlovian that that <laughs> alarm that uh, when it'd go off, you'd, you'd have to spring into action.
1: Here they come, there they go. Where they land, nobody knows. No
0: yeah. We had one land about uh, about a half a mile from us. Uh, and then, of course, there was that one that landed and hit uh, that warehouse down in Dahran and uh, killed a bunch of uh, Army Reservists, I think, from Pennsylvania. Uh the only gal I ever knew that had a purple heart was uh, well, had been in that reserve unit, and she had been injured in that Scud. Hmm. Uh, that Scud alert, uh, that Scud impact. Uh, I, I think, I don't know, it was probably at least half a dozen guys killed in that. Uh, but, you know, for all his trying, that, that Scud was, you know, kind of a very crude missile. Uh, there's no real guidance system. I it. just kind of uh, use Kentucky windage. Guess what the atmospheric conditions are. Make your little calculations on a slide rule, and then point it and light the fuse.
1: Phil, as bad as I hate to do this, we got to end it. It's time to go and get ready for next week's show.
0: Let's okay. See. Well, good. I'm always glad to come back from Desert Storm.
1: Yes, sir. <laughs> we'll talk Thank to you next you week. Give it a break. Thank you, All sir. Right, and remember it. Flag Bye-bye. Day, everybody. The
0: views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station.
1: You're listening to America's
0: Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.